0: A rarity, so don't get used to it. <laughs> uh, family life pastor, what does that mean, right? You figure it out, you can tell me. Um, basically, I oversee the youth group here, I see the, the group, the, the, the small group, or what we call life group ministry here. Um, I'm kind of what you would call, not kind of, I am, I'm, I'm basically an assistant pastor here uh, underneath the lead pastor. And so today, I'm coming before you in a different type of role. So today we're gonna be talking about a principle that really is what I am. So, and it might be best that I give it to you uh, because we're talking about, if if you've looked in your notes, we're looking at a principle called second chair leadership. And uh, we're gonna see how second chair leadership, a, a key principle underneath that, can really help us where we're at as a church. So to help illustrate this, some of you who are OCD, these two chairs are really bugging you on the stage. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll talk about it, and you'll be like, oh, okay, that's why they're there. So this chair is something I grabbed from the office. Uh, it has some meaning to me. It is Pastor Brian's old office chair. All right? So he used this up until maybe two, two, three years ago, and his back started hurting him, so he got one of those, like, raising desks that you, that you can stand at. And so he really didn't use this very much, so we, we passed it off. But it, it has a lot of symbolism. You can see here it's kind of a what they call an executive style chair, um, and it's, it's, it's very comfy. Now, I'm not going to sit in it because it almost feels like I'm sitting in a throne, right? Um, but this chair right here represents something, and, and it's a leadership principle or a leadership way of looking at leadership. So this chair represents the first chair, all right? So at our church here and in many churches, we have different positions uh, within the church. You might have different positions in your organization that you work for if you have a job. Um, You may even have different positions that you take in relationships, uh, say in a marriage. So this represents in an organization, the head guy, right? So at our church, this would be the lead pastor, or some churches call it the senior pastor. Brian said, don't call me a senior, I don't want to be thought of as old. But this is the the lead chair, right? This is the, the first chair here. This chair is the hot seat. So if you look at the picture that's on your program, you see a red chair. That's actually the first chair. And the first chair is the first chair because they take all of the responsibility. They take all of the pressure. The things that happen in an organization, they're the ones who are ultimately responsible for it, aren't they? So this would be kind of like the owner of a business or the CEO uh, of an organization. That's what this is, okay? The first chair is the one that everybody sees. They're the ones who are up front. Now, in an organization, there's also what's called a second chair. I'm, I feel comfortable sitting in this one, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really awkward for you, okay? So <laughs> is that awkward? feels good I'm, I'm back here I'm hiding uh, this is the second chair okay and so when I talk about second chair leadership this hopefully will help you get an idea of what God has asked me a position that God has asked me to be in here at our church um, is this second chair now you can see the second chair isn't seen very much is it and some of you like this position right if you're an introvert, you're like, I don't really want to be on stage. <laughs> um, but this can be behind the scenes, but not always. The second chair can also be up front as well uh, when the first chair gives that, that permission and that authority, right? Um, but the second chair takes a back seat, but, but it also has follows the first chair, okay? So... <clears throat> What does this have to do with our church? What does this have to do with you? Let me get there. All right. Our church community here recently, and we're wrapping it up, but we're going through a time of transition. We've heard this word. It's a time of transition. So we brought in Pastor Randy, who's not with us today. He's at a graduation in um, in Michigan, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, the tri-state area, that that area. Um, He's there with graduation for his his grandkids, Um, and he asked me to speak, and he said, you can speak on whatever you want, and I thought, you know, like I said last week, you know, I've gone through this transition with you, right along with you, and there's some things that have happened that I went through in this transition that I thought, you know, our com- it, it might be maybe symbolic of where we have been as a community, and some of you, it might be symbolic of where you're at now, or the things we're going to talk about might be where you will end up. Face some things you'll be facing sometime in your life. So, you think of a time of transition. It's just a fancy word that means change right? Uh, a time of change. But it kind of has a positive connotation to it, like you're going to go from this point, and there is this point somewhere in the future out there somewhere, uh, but we don't necessarily know where it is. And so my wife and I sat down talking about, uh, about this message and, and just reviewing about where we've been at as a church and <clears throat> as a community, and there's some things that came up that we know that we've gone through. Initially, When we started going through this time of transition, and and let me be more clear, what this time of transition looked like was, especially at first, it looked like this, okay, because Brian has stepped out. God has led him to the next part of his life. And so suddenly, we have the first chair leave us, and what is left there's an emptiness, and we feel it, and so initially, Joy and I felt that emptiness and that grief from, from their leaving. And then Randy has come in, and he's done great work, but as Randy has said, there's only so much that he can do, right? Um, he can't necessarily cast vision, as we prayed for last week, and mission. He can encourage us in those things, but there's only so far he can go, because He's only here for so long, and so we still have this gap here that Joy and I have been feeling, and maybe, in part, maybe you have as well, Um, but this, I have found, is symbolic of times of change and times of transition, and there may be times that you go through in your life, maybe now or in the future, where... Where you might feel some of these things, what does the future hold for me? <laughs> what is it that, that I envision? Can I have a vision? Wow, Like there's so much unknown. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today is the unknown, because Joy and I have learned through this process some things and. I, I wanted to get her up on stage, but she 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 doesn't want that. Okay, so she she's an introvert. She's like, no, that'll that'll be hard for me. Um, love you, honey. So, <laughs> but I want to share some of that with you and uh, and and address some of this time. And honestly, it can happen in a workplace like it has here at our church. And our, and it, this isn't just a church; isn't just a workplace though. It's it's family, right? Um. But it can happen from other things in your life too. You think of, of some of the, the hard things like somebody starts getting sick and you don't know what's gonna happen. Somebody dies or starts to die. I worked as a hospice chaplain for eight and a half years. I've seen this, this time of, of, of lack of, of what's gonna happen in the future. Somebody dies, what, what do I do now? What does the future hold? Things have changed. It could be something worse like conflict. And conflict, is, it seems like it's all around you, within your family, arguments. Maybe it's not even on the outside. Maybe it's on the inside. You're feeling conflict. And you don't know. There it is again, the unknown. I don't know how to get through this. Maybe it's to the point of divorce. Divorce. Or something serious like that that you go through and there's this huge time of change and everything feels unsettled and you became become even unsure of yourself those are things that that there aren't exactly what we've gone through as a church with this transition but those are bits and pieces of feelings that we can have during times of change and today I wanted to address that, and so I started thinking to myself, um, what is a story that really can capture that? And so I I realized there's this awesome story that I heard in my devotions about a week ago, and I thought, this is a powerful story. It's a weird story. (laughs) There's parts of it when you first read it with me. If this is your first time reading it, you're going to go, what? Like, what is that about? Um, I get some, but there's some things I don't get. And then as we unpack that story today, I feel like it's going to help us understand what God is asking us to do during those times when there's change and unsurety. And I believe that when we look at the story, it can even prepare us for the next part, and that is Pastor Nate, who we are bringing on as our new first chair leader, our new lead pastor, we're bringing him on. And this story can even prepare us for him coming as well. All right? So, so looking at this story, um, this is Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 13. So take a look. You can turn in your, in your phones, uh, in your Bible there as well. Um, and this is a story that is also paralleled in Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Parallel means Matthew here, in the book of Matthew. Matthew's the one who wrote it. Um, He writes this story that happened. And then Luke, who was a physician, he writes the same story. So we're going to look just at Matthew's today. I might make reference reference at Luke's. Luke gives a few different details that are really awesome. But we're going to look at Matthew's version today. And I encourage you as we're reading to, to, as as I'm talking today, look at Luke chapter 7 as well. Um, And it's going to be on the screen for you. And this is the New Living Translation. But you can look at any translation that you would like. The title in my Bible that was added later, this isn't from the original, is The Faith of a Roman Officer. You Ready? When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this, because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say, go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And I tell you this, That many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In our last verse, then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home, because you believed it has happened, and the young servant Was healed that same hour so we see here in this story a Roman officer and some translations will capture his title better he does have a title it is centurion and he is going to Jesus and he is asking for help for a servant in his home and Jesus ends up healing the servant okay But if we break this story down, like we're going to do today, it's going to show us some more things that are happening in this story. So look here. I'm going to sit down here with with you. Look here at verse 5. It says here, when Jesus returned to Capernaum. Now, the context here is that right before he goes into Capernaum, um, Jesus is uh, on a mountain, and he's preaching. So, this is his big, huge sermon that he's giving up in this mountain. And he's, so, he's up on this mountain and he's preaching to all these people. It's a very long sermon, okay? Um, afterwards, he comes down from the mountain, and at the bottom of the, mount, bo- bottom of the mountain, there's a leper who asks Jesus to heal him. Leprosy was a very deadly disease at that time, there was no cure. And so, Jesus actually reaches out touches the leper which was a no-no in their time and the leper is instantly healed right after healing the leper we see him going towards Capernaum now if the video works we have a video to show you Capernaum here this is literally what Capernaum looks like at this time and what you're looking at here are the ruins that they have found of Capernaum from Jesus day You'll see a giant building that looks very modern. Underneath that, that, that building, that building's actually a church. It has been suspended literally over top of the ruins of where Peter's home was. And you'll also see in this video, there's a ruin of a synagogue. It's white there. Um, that has later been built by Rome. But underneath it is the original foundation of dark gray brick, from Jesus time and so this is where Jesus was going beautiful place right on the seashore amazing beautiful um, and Jesus is going to Capernaum because Mark chapter 2 says Capernaum was Jesus' home base right he kind of sets up shop out of Peter's home and so he's going back to Capernaum right as he enters Capernaum here comes this centurion up to him, and the centurion is approaching him, asking for help. Now, Capernaum was a place for the whole area where they would collect taxes, taxes from the Jews. The Jews at this time were a conquered people. They were conquered by Rome, and so Rome would collect taxes from, from the places that they had conquered, right? And so So we find tax collectors here in a tax office, but in addition to the tax office, there's something else that's needed because the Jews liked to rebel. They needed soldiers. And so we also see Roman soldiers being there to help enforce the payment of the taxes. So do we see that in our day and age? Mm, Maybe not. (laughs) The IRS will come after you, right? Um, maybe not sending soldiers, but in this day and age, they literally had soldiers right there, okay? And so, this Roman soldier, this centurion, is part of that. Centurion is just a fancy title. It's, it's underneath that word is where we get the word century, which means a hundred. And so, a centurion was usually over about 80 to 100 men. And so, this guy is, is, is is a person of, of a title, he, of, of well he's renowned. Um, and so he's coming to Jesus, asking him, in this verse, for help. What is he asking him for help for? Look at verse 6. He says here, Lord, my young servant, now servant here could be slave, could also be interpreted, that Greek, the original Greek that this was written in, could be interpreted slave or servant or even child. Here, possibly even a, a servant that is a child. But he says, My young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. If you have a different translation, you'll see it'll say, He was in he's in constant torment. This is a serious illness. And the word there for torment almost means like a, a twisting, involuntary motions. He cannot control his body. The King James actually doesn't call it paralysis. it calls it palsy, which it could be. Um, This could be a disease from birth. We don't know. But whatever this is, it's very serious, and it's very painful. And so we see that this centurion is seeing this servant in pain, and he's willing to go out of his way and ask for help. He doesn't have to do that. It's not like our day and age. Different culture. Okay? In this culture, Rome conquered all. If you killed your servant or your slave, nobody would bat an eye. You were allowed to do that. So he could put this person out of his misery, he wouldn't have to deal with the, the physician bills and all of that. But we see that the centurion doesn't do that. He has a heart that seems different. He has a heart that cares here. And so he's going out of his way to go to Jesus. And what does Jesus say in verse 7? He says, simply, I will come and heal him. Some translations put it into a question. We don't know if it's necessarily a question. But he basically says he's willing to go. But what does the centurion say? He says, but the officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Jesus, I'm not worthy of you coming into my house. I don't feel like you can do that. Hey, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm a Roman, and you're a Jew. You, please don't come into my home. Um, you don't need to do that. Any of you ever feel unworthy? <laughs> To be honest, unworthy of God, unworthy of Jesus, unworthy of him being in your home. Start to relate, huh? Put yourself in the centurion's shoes here. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard. He's a rabbi. He's a teacher. But he's heard about what Jesus is doing. And wow, I am am not worthy. And there are times that we don't feel worthy ourselves. But here's the cool thing. He says, just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word, Jesus, and it'll happen. I know that. I know it will happen. Let's go on to verse 9. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He was amazed. This is the hinge of this whole story. The whole story hinges on this. Why? Because this word in Greek amazed, or King James or other translations say, he marveled, is only used twice in all of the Bible regarding Jesus. One time it's used when Jesus is going into Jerusalem. And as he's going into Jerusalem, he looks upon the city and upon the people, and it says, Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. They don't believe, and yet he's given them plenty of opportunity to believe. Plenty, and yet the people in Jerusalem did not believe. Contrast that with this. Here, Jesus is amazed the only other time, and he's amazed at what? A centurion's faith? What? He's not even Jewish. He's amazed. And let me say, if Jesus is amazed, if God can be amazed, do you want to find out what amazes God? <laughs> right? I want to amaze God. Sounds kind of prideful, right? Like, look, I'm amazing, I'm amazing God. But it's not that at all in this story. What is it about the centurion's faith that amazes Jesus, the Son of God. What is it? We have to ask that. If we walk away from this passage, uh, this story, and we don't ask that, we're missing out, okay? But to get that, we've already read through it, and maybe you didn't catch it. I purposefully glossed (laughs) over it. But let's go back to find out what it is about the centurion's faith that amazes Jesus jesus here okay let's look back at verse eight but the officer said lord i am not worthy to have you come into my home just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed okay that sounds like the kind of faith that jesus is amazed at we think about later there's a disciple named uh, thomas Who says after Jesus dies, he says, Unless I put my fingers in the holes in his hands and my hand into his side, that's where the spear went, I will not believe. And then Jesus says, Blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. So that could be, and it is, part of the faith that is impressing Jesus here. He's impressed. This centurion has not even seen Jesus, hasn't even met him, and yet he believes. But I don't want you to fall into thinking that's all there is to this centurion's faith. That's part of it. And we are called to do the same, right? Jesus is asking us, will you believe without seeing me? Will you believe from afar that I have the ability to do this? All right? Um, But look at this convoluted verse that's next. This is where we gloss over. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. This is all wrapped up in one word, that the centurion said twice, that we glossed over earlier in this passage. Look at the beginning of verse 8. And the beginning of verse 6. But the officer said, Lord. He called Jesus Lord. A centurion of a, of a race who has conquered the Jews goes to a Jewish rabbi and says, Lord. In other words, it's like this. <clears throat> Lord. You are Lord. A person who has authority, understands authority, understands that authority, he understands about having people under him, and he understands about having people over him, and he's saying to Jesus, you are Lord. You have authority over all. You have authority, Jesus, over this sickness that my servant has. You have authority over the unknown." You have authority during the time of change and transition. You have authority over my fears, my anxieties during this time of transition, during this time of unknown in my life. You have control. There's one word that wraps up what he is saying here, this centurion, and it's a scary word. It's not used in this in this section, but it really is what it's about, and it's a word called submission. Now, if you have your phones and you Google submission, one of the first things that comes up is a sexual definition, of course, right? It's Google. Dominance and submission. We aren't talking about that at all. We aren't talking about submission in the way of sex, but what I'm really talking about here is something much deeper, much real. Google's definition too on the, on the side of that has some negative connotations to it, some negative meaning. It's like uh, being timid, being shy, or being weak. And that is not what we're talking about here either. The centurion really truly understands it. You see, the centurion's been sent out on mission, probably after mission. And that's the key to submission. Let me help you understand. You think of the word, you think of the word submachine gun, okay? Submachine gun basically means a smaller version of a machine gun. You got the big machine guns, you got the small one, right? Let me help you understand a little bit more. Subway, I just made all of you hungry, okay? But a subway that you travel in, what is it? It's a, it's a way underneath, right? It's a way that you travel underneath. Subway. What does a subway and a submachine gun and submission have to do with each other? The word sub. If we were to hyphenize that, that word, it's a submission. In other words, I understand authority, Jesus. And I'm going to put you over me. Your mission over top of me. And I'm going to come underneath your mission. You're in charge. You've got the authority. And I will follow my mission as a smaller version of yours. Do you see it? That's all submission is. We've made it out to be weird in our culture. we made it out to be uh, whoa, the wife should be submissive to the husband, and oh, that means they're, you know, they're, they're less and all this. No. Doesn't mean you're timid. The centurion wasn't timid in this passage, he wasn't weak. But he's saying, You have the authority. I'm going to come underneath your mission, Jesus. That's, that's what it's about. And that is the faith that amazes Jesus that here is a gentile a gentile is someone who is not jewish that's all it means who believes and then the last part of this this story he's contrasting gentiles with people who are jewish and he says he says there will be many gentiles who will go to heaven and sit with these men of faith And yet many Israelites will not because they don't have that kind of faith. They will be cast out. He's saying here that the faith of the Roman centurion, he's equating it to a faith that's a saving faith that gives him eternal life. That is what we are called to as well in this passage When you're going through times of transition and unknown, when anxieties are increasing and fears are increasing, maybe there's been a drastic change in your life. And if it's not going on for you, let me say this, you're not getting any younger. Times will come when physical hardships come, when death starts to approach and the unknown approaches. And if you haven't been putting submission into place spiritually with Jesus, it's going to be a lot harder at the end of your life to practice that. Now is the time to put him in authority over your life. Now is the time to cast all of those anxieties upon him, saying, you are in control, Jesus. I am going to release control I'm going to open up the hands of my heart and let you have the power here throughout my life. It's simple. It's easy. But it's not, is it? (laughs) And sometimes we have to continue to do that over and over again. That principle of submission is the hinge of the story. And it really is the number one principle of being in a second chair position, too. So if you find yourself in a second chair position in your life, that is the number one principle. Even in marriage, we are called in Ephesians, husband and wife, to submit to one another. That word submit, a version of coming under submission. And so it's not a principle that's a light one. It is a hard one. But I want to encourage you today with that principle of the centurion who understood it, what authority is about. Jesus, you have the power here to heal. You just simply have to say the word and it will happen. But here's the thing. It's about his mission. If he wants to do the healing, he will. And if he doesn't, or if he's silent, there's times that he is silent, right? Then what is he actually saying? He's saying, Submit, trust in me. The overriding verse for Joy and I through this time of transition for our church, not having a leader, not having a, a vision or the future, has been this a psalm that says, Be still and know that I am God it's releasing that authority over to him well, I'm going to pray for you in a moment but I was talking to my wife and there's m- so much more here I'd love to talk about but I wanted to hit the main thing for you today I wanna give you a couple resources this week the first is there's a card in the, seat in, 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 the, in the seat back in front of you. It says, says uh, connect on it. On the back side, it says prayer request. Some of you are going through a time that I've described today. Maybe not where a leader is out of your life, but you're not sure of what's happening or what's to come. And I want to pray for you this week. So if you would, as you feel led, to humble yourself, take that card and write on that card, on that prayer request, that prayer that you have. And this week, every day, I want to lay those cards out in front of myself and pray for you. So at some point, you can fill that out, and there's offering boxes in the back of the room. You can put it in the offering box. And then the other thing I want to do for you is throughout this week, I'm going to post I'm going to try. I'm not on Facebook, so I will have to be through our office manager. But I want to post just a one or two minute blurb more about this principle of second chair leadership and uh, more about this passage here. It might be a video. It might just be a po- like a little bit of text. But I'll mix it up so it doesn't get boring. Um, but you can look for that on our Birchridge website on, on the Facebook page. Um, and I just want to post some more encouragement to you throughout this week as well. And we are coming close, very close as a church to the end of this transition period. And our anxieties are, are changing uh, to become anticipation, which is amazing. Um, but some of you, even in your own life, might be going through stuff. And I want to pray for you and encourage you this week. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word that is alive, uh, even from 2,000 years ago. You walking into that city, Jesus, and uh, talking to this centurion like this, and just the amazing uh, thing that happened there with this miracle from afar. And God, how the centurion had a faith to call you Lord, putting his own reputation, his own uh, position on the line, humbling himself in submission to you. Jesus, help us to have that kind of faith, the faith of the centurion, um, and to give us purpose in our life as we, as we go from here. Um, and we know that through that, there is freedom, freedom in you coming under your mission. Uh, encourage those who are going through hardship, change, uh, turmoil, um, fears. Encourage them today, and I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.